the podcast where artificial intelligence meets real people. We're your hosts, Athena Moss and Steve Burrows, and we're working together at ERA, a platform that is being developed to make housing affordable again. On this episode, though, we have a true celebrity in the corporate social responsibility and sustainability space, um, who is also known for her work in promoting ethical leadership and responsibility business practices. Um, And we're going to be exploring a topic which is somewhat controversial um, and a topic I don't think we discuss enough. Now, this topic that we're going to talk about is gender equality. Um, and we've got the incredible Nadine Hack joining us today. So thanks so much for your time, Nadine. Um, I'll let you introduce yourself to the listeners and then we will jump straight into it. Okay, so I just want to begin by clarifying that gender equality is not just a woman's issue, but a human issue. And that men women and children benefit from it, as does business and the environment. So I think that's an important point for us to start our discussion on. Yeah, I, I suppose I suppose one of the things we wanted to start with was that this whole question is, does, does the, this push for gender equality, there's this sort of general acceptance that there isn't fairness in the world. And, and this, is this, does this push for fairness disenfranchise some parts? So in the case of gender equality, is there a sort of, you know, reverse bias that's creeping in as a result of the attempt to, to remedy some of the mistakes of the past? I don't think so, actually, Steve. Um, when men can have the opportunity to, for example, through paid paternity leave. Right. It's not just that they're freed from toxic stereotypes and have better health, but they also become better employees. And um, there's a US labor study and men, much other research that shows that they also become less depressed. Um, unfortunately, a recent HBR article, a Harvard Business Review, explores how they're still penalized for stepping out of traditional roles. But I I think that those who are able to take the leap really, really benefit from it. I I think it's a false narrative that that it's um, a finite pie and that if if more people are included, Mm -hmm. some people lose out. I I really think that um, an inclusive society is beneficial for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 so I agree. You know, obviously, it's, you can't agree with the statement, but disagree with the statement that's made like that. That's sort of, you know, it's broad and and generalized. It, it's, it's. I think the the it's one of those devils in the detail things. So, you know, if for example, um, you have a board of directors of a company and there are ten people on the board. And, right. and 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 yesterday, you know, 10 years ago, it was 10 men. And you say, I'm going to implement a policy of uh, gender equality. And so my goal is that it's going to be gender balanced. It's going to be five men and five women. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't that positive discrimination towards an objective by itself? Doesn't it doesn't it actually say I'm going to prefer to choose a woman over a man, not the best person for the job. And so that's why I'm 
I'm asking the question. Well, again, I would disagree with your underlying premise that it's we're choosing a woman because she's female, not because she's the most qualified person. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think that right. there are an enormous amount of highly qualified women and highly qualified men. And again, um, those countries and businesses that have quotas for women leaders outperform and turbocharge growth. So right. yes, if there are 10 people on a board and there's a mandate that you know 50% of them or 20%, whatever it is, must be women, then the percentage is fewer. But don't think that those women are just being brought on token because they happen to have a different sexual organ. They're being brought on because they have the skill set. And, um, you know, it may feel like a displacement after so many decades, if not millennia, of, of men always being in the controlling position, i.e. boards and other, you know, kind of hierarchical structures. But um, if men can feel secure in who they are, then having other people join them will not diminish them in any way. Yeah, um, I just uh, I just want to keep exploring that a little bit. Because sure. Because I, I still think once you create quotas for anything, yeah. um, you, you have made a, a positive discriminatory uh, decision, um, you know, because when you change anything from, from A to B, and the reason I said 10 is, uh, and I want to come back to, to the role of, of, of genetics inequality, mm -hmm. you know, you talked about reproductive organs, but let's, let's, let's talk about genetics, because Let's say that, that that board that I just described was Manchester United's first team. And um, and so I'm going to decide that it's, it's going to be, why should it be all men? It should be five men and five women. Uh, I'm going to choose women soccer players in preference to male soccer players. And and is my team going to be better? Because it, we, we, we could apply this to a board where we say it's an intellectual, uh, and, and we say the intellectual capacity of, of both genders is equal, or maybe maybe women are, and you know maybe it's proven women are smarter than men in in general. I don't, I don't know, but 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 the, the, you know it's a it's an argument. Okay, when so it, let's take that example. Let's take yeah. the recent FIFA World Cups. I right. mean, we saw that um, the women's games are are getting as much and in many cases more attention than the men's games. There right. there it, it was. For the longest time, there was like really a two-tiered system that had a huge gap uh, between how it was sponsored, uh, how much money was paid to the players, et cetera. And, and that's beginning to, you know, that delta is beginning to close. It, it isn't fully, but um, we see that there are terrific players and terrific managers from both sexes and from gender non-conforming people. And and I also can tell you from personal experience, because I've led for several years um, a women's leadership development program and also a general leadership development program at FIFA, that um, it's not just the players, but there are women who are, um, you know, 
managing stadiums and managing the commercial relationships. And yes, there's, there's, there's some reckoning to be done. Some men don't like that there are now women in the game when, when it was an exclusively male domain. But, um, you know, some people didn't like when we moved from horse-drawn carriages to, the, to cars. I mean, the progress, yeah. it's I always remember. difficult. I remember going from horse-drawn carriages. <laughs> I, I was very disappointed. <clears throat> in that. And it hasn't gone away. I'm, I'm continuing to be disappointed. Uh, but so, uh, but uh, but but I, I suppose I was go, I was pushing to the point of genetics because um, you know in sports we do segregate by gender, and and so it seems to me like on the one hand we've got accepted segregation because um, it, because we want competition, and so if Manchester United, I asked the question if Manchester United do you see a future in which Manchester United has five female players and that soccer is mixed? And uh, do you see that as a future or do you think they'll always be separate? And then, then at the other hand, we've got, we've got areas where we would be very mixed. And between, there must be this whole grey area. Right. Like, like, you know, I'm only going to choose tall people for shelf stacking because the shelves require to be five feet ten. And so that's discrimination. So, like, when is it okay to discriminate, and and when is it not okay? Because it seems like we've got a whole sort of, you know, continuum of discrimination from sport where segregation is accepted and okay to the boardroom where it's not. So, you know, just talk so through. So let the, me you know, let me reply to that in two parts: first, mm -hmm. the players, and then the managers. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we're talking about players, I have to be honest to say that. I don't know what the future holds. You know, there have been a lot of challenges um, from transgender players, for example, and will they be allowed to play on the team of the gender that they now belong to, yeah. uh, depending, you know, where they have a different hormone um, level. And I really don't know where that's going to go. Um, I think it would be fascinating. Like there was a time when my granddaughters were playing on exclusively um, girls soccer teams, as we call football in the United States. And um, then later in their life, they got to play on some uh, mixed gender teams. I used to go to my grandson's ice hockey game and there was like this unbelievable young girl who was on the team who was like just as tough and aggressive as as all the boys and they accepted her and so you know who knows i really don't know what the future holds um but in terms of managers that's a whole different story you can have men and women um of all races and all nationalities making decisions about their teams that because there are so many decisions that don't have to do with just the physical um, capacity of each player but you know there are so many dimensions to managing a team so in terms of management um, that absolutely should be moving in the direction of more diverse more inclusive from my perspective 
Yeah, and I, I hear you. So you're saying you don't know whether, <clears throat> in my case, my team, Manchester United, might in 10 years' time be have uh, the, the, the requirement is that, you know, uh, five of the players will, will be female and five of the players will be male and that the sports will be mixed and that the athletics will see that everybody, all of the sports will be mixed. Because although you say you don't know what the future holds, your T-shirt says different. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I, I mean, even if you walk around with that T-shirt, um, I would say as a male, I go, well, I'm not the future, right? I'm the past. Okay, and, uh, so, so let me make it clear because yeah. I always have to explain this. The yeah. intention of the slogan, the future in female on the T-shirt I'm wearing is not to elevate one archetype over another. Right. but to recognize that the whole is always greater than the sum of its parts and that we can begin to build a more inclusive world that embraces everyone in all of their diversity. And so I wear this as a pro provocative statement to like get into that conversation with people because I don't want to see women overpowering men any more than I want to see men overpowering women. I, I get that, and we're we're trying. What's what's great about this is, and and Athena and I were talking about this just yesterday in preparation for this podcast. We were saying, um, you know, I'm tr I'm trying to be a bit provocative here, right? And and I'm doing that for a reason because we were saying, people don't they're they're afraid to talk about this, right? They're really afraid to ask the difficult questions. And so, yeah. you know, I said, I you know, the reason I said at the beginning of the podcast. If you're uncomfortable with anything I say, please don't feel that you have to answer it. Because I'm not trying to express a, a sort of a, a, a sexist opinion. I'm trying mm -hmm. to get into that difficult space. Because sure. just, to, just to finish this thought, you know, if I wore a T-shirt, I've got a T-shirt that's like a Banksy T-shirt from Pulp Fiction where they're holding bananas, right, instead of guns. And, uh, but if I got into, if I had a T-shirt that said the future is male, and I got on the train to San Francisco, I, people would be offended by that. They would, yeah, they would it's be, true. They, they, it's yeah, true. they would be upset by it. And so why is it sort of okay? Uh, are we, you know, are we really doing the right thing uh, to, to just have a sort of a, what, what appears to be a gender bias? I mean, is it, is it sort of, is it, isn't it, aren't we just reversing the problem? I agree with you, Steve. And the analogy I'll use is that my husband, who happens to be white, every single day wears a t-shirt that says Black Lives Matter. Now, there certainly, when that phrase came out, there was a lot of controversy about it. And, you know, people were saying, well, all lives matter and white lives matter. And, you know, why are you just, and what the purpose of the Black Lives Matter movement and all of its, you know, regalia is to say that traditionally, historically, for many millennia, Black lives have not mattered as much as white lives. And we could say the same, that women and their lives have not mattered as much 
as men's lives. And sadly, there are too many places on earth where a woman's life is still like, I mean, forget about, you know, the kinds of aspirations I have. Um, in, there are so many places in the world where women just don't even have like the most fundamental, they can't walk outside of their home without, without being fully covered and in the presence of a male uh, counterpart and family member. And they're not allowed to go to school and, or they don't have access to, uh, they can't work, they can't, they can't do anything actually. And so, so what the Black Lives Matter movement and the t-shirt was drawing people's attention to is saying, we've had a white male patriarchal culture for a very long time. And it has benefited a very thin slice of the larger human population. And it's time for us as human beings to look at how we can bring more people into being validated, recognized as in their full integrity and as being equal human beings. And, and so uh, you're right, it, it, it's provocative and it's meant to be provocative. It's meant to start difficult conversations because I think what you said is most important. Unless we have difficult conversations, then we're never going to advance. If, if people only talk in their own little isolated bubbles, which yeah. sadly is happening in our very divided world, then they reinforce each other's belief systems. It, 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 it requires people who think differently to talk to each other, to engage with each other and have difficult but civil conversations mm -hmm. so that they can we can like work some of this stuff out and it remains to be seen how we're going to work it out. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, to state my, my opinion is, um, you know, I believe that uh, everybody should have the same opportunity. And I think after that, um, think as long as you provide a basis for equal opportunities, yeah, people will succeed or fail based on, on their own capability. So, I sort of believe that fundamentally that that's that's the the the, the intent of, of of everything um, yes. and so quotas you know seem to me to be sort of counterproductive in that ma manner and it's almost like your shirt your t-shirt you know it sort of says here's where i stand and um mm -hmm. and i know you say it opens a conversation but it does appear that if i wore a if i wore a make america great again hat you would right. immediately you would immediately have an opinion about me and my and my thinking yeah and, uh, yeah. and it would it would mean that that uh, you would disagree we would begin with a disagreement which is actually not a very successful way to get aligned where because change my my you know i'm an old person now and i've learned over the years that i can't change anybody's opinion like i just can't um i can present them with alternative facts but these days uh, people don't know what the truth is anymore so even in gender equality um you know you have a you have a presumption that i if we were having a disagreement about a, a discussion about it you have a presumption that i understand the problem 
and and I, and I I maybe don't. You know, I might look and say, I do think that it's wrong that women that uh, that the, the the U.S. government is asking the states to make uh, decisions about women's reproductive rights. Uh, I find that's just unbelievable because if they asked made decisions, the state made a decision about my reproductive rights, I would have, I would be pretty unhappy. So if I was female, I would be pretty unhappy. Yeah. Um, but, 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 and so I know that, but I don't really understand what a woman in Afghanistan is going through right now. And I actually don't understand actually what is happening on the ground. So this, we, we, we start from different places. It feels like you've taken a view that is extreme you know it's like well it's predetermined and therefore you 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 want to start a conversation but i think you're actually starting an argument what, what do you okay, think okay well that's fair enough if that's how you hear it yeah. um i i can appreciate that i i think that i try to approach conversations in a way that says we might we may not agree we may not agree on this specific point or we may not agree on anything but let's try to be civil with each other. Right. Let's try as best as we can to have a conversation and to genuinely listen to each other. And I think that's the biggest point is having an open-hearted listening state so that I can really hear you and hear where you're coming from and appreciate it, even if it's very different from where I'm coming from. Um, this is not easy. This is an art that needs to be learned and developed. It's not what we're taught. We're taught to debate and argue. And, and, and in today's world, that, that is the, you know, kind of diriger form of, I won't even call it communication, non-communication. It's just like, yeah. uh, like, uh, it is. It is. <clears throat> and it's, but, and but I do think it's possible to have civil dialogue on areas where we disagree. Now, not with everybody. There may be people who are so utterly stuck in their own perspective that they're not open to anybody else. And so, you know, you're not, I'm not gonna be able to have a conversation with that person. I hope I'm not in that place. I hope that I'm open enough, that I'm always willing to listen to someone else. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I asked ChatGPT, what would the question, what would a woman-led world look like? Um, and um, and the reason I'd say that is that I've often found that it, where, whereas two people might disagree around the subject, if they can focus on an objective, some future state that they would both like to achieve, um, it's easier to, because to, you then start to be selfish. What's in it for me? Oh, I'd like to be in that future state. We can agree to go towards that future state, even though we may disagree on the current situation. We, we could, um, so, you know, I call it scenario planning. It's how you do strategic planning, looking ahead. So yep. I've, heard, I've heard things said like, um, a woman has never started a war. And um, in, in the history of world, the world, a, a woman has never started a war. And, um, and so what that says to me is the, the inference there is, if women led the world, there would be no wars. Right, and I think that's a big presumption that, that we don't know if that is true. But I asked ChatGPT, and I'd like your comments on this, what would a woman-led world look like? So it basically says that, 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 that is this something we could all wish for? 
So it said there would be a greater emphasis on gender equality if women led the world rather than what we have today, right? So uh, there would be a greater focus on social welfare. There would be greater focus on collaborative leadership styles and comfort and peacekeeping. And so the, the, the inference here is everything would be better. Do, do you, do you mm -hmm. agree with that? Um, I happen to agree with those four points that, <laughs> that in a women-led world, but I would have asked Chad GPT a different question, not a women-led world. I, I would have asked in a gender equal world, what would it look like? But, but, but let's stick with your question. So I agree that there would be more emphasis on gender equality. There would be more concern about social welfare. There would be greater collaborative um, leadership. And what was the fourth point? Uh, it said uh, less stereotypes uh, uh, and uh, biases, uh, increased health, health and reproductive rights, better environmental stewardship, interesting. Um, yeah, well, from, from what we see in how, now, you cannot make a blanket statement like no woman will ever start a war. I mean, let's think about Golda Meir. She was not exactly a peacenik. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Margaret Thatcher was not exactly a wilting violet. Yeah, she did start a war. She did start yeah, a war. she did start a war, and she also had was the exact opposite. She did not create a better social welfare. Uh, she no, no. Uh, destroyed the social net, safety net, and, and, and disrupted a lot of, there was um, a lot of economic turmoil because of her leadership. So you cannot make a, any absolute statement like all men do this, all women do that, all, you know, that, no such thing. Right. But in there, under every stereotype, under every characterization, there's usually some little kernel of truth. Yeah. And the kernel of truth is that when women have led, there has been more emphasis on gender equality, social welfare, collaborative leadership, a better, a, sa a, a safer and cleaner environment. And, and we can see that. I mean, I can tell you that from the US Congress, each year that more women became members of Congress or the US House or the US Senate, um, those issues were brought up not just by left-leaning Democrats, they were brought up equally by a Republican and Democratic candidates and, and politicians once they got elected. So those issues become a shared value that crossed the um, divide between Republican and Democrat, and that women who were in the House and Senate started to bring those issues to the fore. And, right. you know, I see the same thing in the Scandinavian countries at where, where there's also been a greater number of women coming into parliamentarian roles. And um, so based on what I've seen, I, I think I, I, that mm -hmm. GPT has the future right. Yeah. I. I I hear you. I, do, I want. Sorry, sorry, Athena. I just wanted just to finish, just finish that thought on on there because uh, I would, I, you know, I look at gender equality in Congress, and and if if you say 
you know, I hear what you say, but the, but but I had the image that came to mind was Marjorie Taylor Greene, and and I and I found myself saying, you know, I, I or or you know Lauren Boebert or or you know or even you know uh, Marie Le Pen. Yeah, you know, and I, I sort of go, I I don't really see that how that has improved things. So feels, you're yeah. talking about the outliers, right? So. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is one of the, I can say it, my she's one of the crazies. You know, she's not grounded in reality. Um, she's very divisive. She'll say anything that will, you know, light a fire under the alt-right. And, um, and it just goes to prove my point that you can't say all women are or all men are she's a woman and she happens to have very uh regressive perspective on life and and is highly inflammatory in her speech she's not uh when you talked about collaborative leadership and more consensus she's not seeking consensus she's seeking in inflammation but aren't, aren't you being biased in that? But because you're, it's because you don't agree with her. If you just said, you know, yeah, um, uh, you talk about Margaret Thatcher or, or Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and they're extreme examples of right wing, um, you know, uh, 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 conservatives, uh, if, we, if we could call it that. But, but just, you know, because you don't agree with them, it makes them wrong. But, but, no, you know, so let me make a distinction. You're right. I did not call Margaret Thatcher a crazy. Right. She was a brilliant tactician. She was a very effective um, leader. I happen to disagree with all of her policies, right. but I would never call her crazy. She was substantive. She was grounded. She was yeah. focused and she had a completely opposite perspective um worldview than i do but i, I, would, I, I, I didn't marjorie say... taylor green and margaret thatcher are not in the same no no uh, no no i put them in the I same don't... category because uh, i didn't say that you said margaret thatcher is crazy i said that you you disagree with them so they're wrong and you're right and i'm saying no that, so so what i'm saying is i can disagree with margaret thatcher right and there are many people who believe that she was right and there are, and I have to respect those people because they come from a well-grounded, thoughtful, conservative perspective. And they genuinely have believe in a different ideology than I do. I've, right. I've already admitted I'm a left-leaning leaning democratic progressive voice so i i don't have to disparage any of those other people they have a different perspective time will tell which perspective is better for humanity for society for businesses <clears throat> not for me to say but it is a different thing for me to be able to say marjorie taylor green she's not right i'm not saying i'm right but she's like a really 
hateful voice in our world. And I, I, I oppose hate. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that I oppose hate and I support love and inclusion. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> I couldn't be more at the opposite end of the spectrum to Margaret Thatcher or Marjorie Taylor Greene. But I, but I could imagine people listening to our show who say they could never imagine a woman playing for the San Francisco 49ers uh, and, and it will never happen. And, and they, you know, they might be right. And, and so, you know, this, we're still left with this whole question of, you know, genetically is, is, is equal opportunity in everything. Is it really a realistic ambition uh, or should we just accept that, that, you know, some people are just genetically predisposed towards certain things that they'll, that there'll never be a balance within those things. So I have to say, Steve, that over history, genetics have been used against blacks. It's been used against women. It's been used in many ways to say that anybody but a full-blooded white male is less than. And I'm not saying that there are not biological differences. I learned this, I really saw this when my grandchildren were little. My grandsons and my granddaughters, it's like, I, I, up until that point, I had always thought it was only nurture, that it was only because the society had conditioned us to be a certain way that men had certain roles and women had other roles. When my grandchildren were born and I could really observe them, I could see that the testosterone in the boys was like really, really different than the estrogen in the girls. And so I began to appreciate and have a more nuanced view that it's a combination of nature and nurture. Yeah. Unfortunately, the nurture part so strongly, you know, reinforces because because also science shows that most human beings have a very complicated balance of um, testosterone, estrogen, if we're talking about it on the hormonal level, but also the, the so-called female qualities and the male qualities. It's just that society has taught men that they can't be vulnerable, they can't be, um, they can't cry. What a loss that men are not allowed to cry. Little boys are not allowed to cry. What a loss that little girls, if they assert themselves the way boys do, are called bossy and bitchy. I mean, it, every human being is so complex and so multifaceted and so uniquely different that yeah. we all fall somewhere on a, very broad spectrum of like i probably have more so-called male characteristics than my husband who's who's a gentler softer person in the world and i'm a kind of more pushy broad kind of person in the world so you know if we were looking at me and my husband like when we go out to eat this is such a classic thing that happens with us he orders a fish meal and i order a steak 
And when the waiter comes, the waiter puts the steak in front of him and the fish in front of me. And we have to say, no, no, no. Either way, I'm a meat and potatoes yeah. gal. He's, he's the healthier one with the fish and the vegetables. Yeah. Yeah, there are stereotypes. I, I, have, I have the same. My wife usually pays when we have dinner. She, and it's amazing <laughs> how often the bill is put in front of me. And I, I don't, I most times don't carry money or, or a credit card. And, she, and she, you know, and we have a joint account, so it's the same source of money. But, but it's amazing how often they put the bill in front of me, and uh, I have to pass it across to my wife. And I'm like, you know, why do they do that? Because the assumption is that the man pays. And um, I, I asked, the, I asked ChatGPT. <laughs> I'm conscious I cut That's a thing okay. off before, which was probably also a male bad characteristic. And uh, I don't know if you want to ask something, Athena, but I asked ChatGPT, um, in what species are the genders equal and how does their society work? Ah. And I just wonder what you thought of the answer. You can see it on the screen there. So, I uh, can, it's tiny, tiny print. Okay, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. So it says, uh, in bon uh, bonobos, bonobo. which I think are like <laughs> apes or monkeys. Bonobos, okay. Good no. says, are they? No, yeah. Bonobos, okay. I don't even know. Are they apes? Are they some sort of form of... Okay. It's a, it says that the uh, females appear to have a more dominant role in society compared to males. And their, and their society is characterized by cooperation, female bonding, and reduced aggression compared to their close <laughs> relatives, the chimpanzees, which should have given me a clue that they're monkeys. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it, says, it says bees are another one. So in honeybees colonies, female worker bees play a dominant role in maintaining right. life, foraging for food, and taking care of the young. Male bees have a limited role and usually exist solely for mating. <laughs> I'm going to need to reflect on that for a moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, a lot of people, a lot of parts of the world, people think that women exist solely for mating well, and producing. Well, around. I mean, I don't but, know. But, but I, I, I like your example of the bonobos right. and the reason i like it is it mirrors the earlier question you asked of a, about a women-led world where they talked about collaborative leadership and with the bonobos um with where the women it's more of a matriarchy and that there's more uh focus on cooperation and reduced aggression um that that gives you know that that resonates for me um the example of the bees is something that I would not like to see in human beings. I would not like to see men being subservient and having to serve the queen bee. Um, it, it, it's like, I don't know if you've seen the Barbie world movie, but um, I, it's spectacular I because it, it shows exactly that. If it's an entirely male run world, it's not good. If it's an entirely female run world, it's not good. It's like it has to include everybody. It's it's just a, a fabulous um, mirror into the zeitgeist of it. And the fact that it's been so wildly popular globally. Someone just told me this week that it was like, it was playing in more theaters in Saudi Arabia than anywhere in the world. And I was totally taken aback by that. I was, first of all, shocked that Saudi Arabia was even allowing it to be shown. But the fact that so many people are going to it, it has a, it has a resonance. And, and, and it's not saying the ultimate 
punchline of the film is not Barbie controlling Ken, not Ken controlling Barbie, but Barbie and Ken and everybody else having a place and being validated and recognized by each other. So, so Athena, when you said that, Athena had a sort of visceral reaction. So I want to like understand that. So what, you know, the, the, so there's somebody a different generation to us. Like what, what yeah, did you make? This is my problem Athena with the, the whole of topic form. of discussion is it's one extreme or the other in a lot of cases. And I think for younger people like myself, you sit back and you grit your teeth and you don't say anything just because it's it's very nerve-wracking to say the wrong thing um mm. and i think especially if you're whether you're male female transgender then <laughs> it's just we are too scared to say anything and because it's not just about women or men or the in-between it's about equality at the end of the day and i think sometimes because there are two extremes that get so much yeah. voice these people in the middle who can do something about it sit back and are quiet because they're too scared to say anything um and i think a lot of people in my maybe millennials in my kind of yeah. sort of age range probably feel and think very similarly well i'm i'm really glad that you shared that uh, athena and and i would encourage you not to feel like you can't speak. It's important for you to speak. It's important for you to tell people like me how you feel. I'm what's called a second wave feminist. The first wave were the suffragettes, you know, at the turn of the century, you know, for the right to vote. The second wave was like the 1960s, where we were, you know, pushing for all kinds of things. And then the third wave was in the 1990s. And when the third wave came along, um, a lot of my generation of feminists really hated what the third wave was saying, and they called them lipstick feminists. But I loved the third wave because what the third wave, and again, that's already 1990s, and it sounds like you're younger, you're a generation behind that, um, that, that they were saying, you fought to give us the right to choose. Choose whatever the F we want, choose. And if we wanna wear pink lipstick and mini skirts, you fought to give us that right. And like, yeah, maybe at your time you had to wear all black and army fatigues and you know army boots to like push through the walls of like, you know, there was no opportunity at all but you fought for my right to choose. So I loved, I learned so much from third wave, gener yeah. uh, third wave generation women who were saying, we have a totally different view. And, and so I welcome you to speak up and share your view and don't be intimidated by the boomer generation or anybody else because um, we need to learn from you. It's it's your world now. We're we're just hanging on here. Yeah, and I, I think uh, so. I, I I think I appreciate it. I think we're all, you know, Barbie as an example. Uh, we're all sort of products of unconscious bias, right? We we you know our, our parents. Hopefully, I take the view that if I can be if I can be better than my parents, then I've made a a, a positive improvement. And, and I don't hold myself 
to standards I can't achieve. You know, I can, I, that, that's an achievable standard. Barbie was a toy given to girls. And, and there's a lot of studies show, you know, if you give a boy a Barbie, you'll start shooting it like a gun. You know, the, there's a lot of things that we're conditioned to do. And so, you know, on behalf of uh, humanity, if I've got the, <laughs> the right to say that, you know, uh, your work is, is, you know, is admirable and successful. And, uh, and I want to thank you very much for spending some time with us and accepting them, mm -hmm. uh, us taking a sort of um, a combative view on this, really, just to, to no, get the No, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank, you. Thank, thank you, Steve, and thank you, Athena.